Welcome to Beatitudes, where your host, Dr. Kwamenique Sukina, will give you tools to experience wisdom in your everyday life. Listen each week as Dr. Kwamenique Sukina shares stories that will help guide your faith, perspective, and attitude in every situation. This is Dr. Sukina of Indigenous Messengers International, and here is our host. Today, I'm going to talk about be resolute, therefore unshakable. I want to begin today by sharing a children's book that I recently wrote, and it's called You Can't Hug a Porcupine. The book is beautifully illustrated by my dear and longtime friend, Susan Nichols, and it can be purchased on our website, indigenousmessengers.com. This is how the book goes. You can't hug a porcupine. They are sensitive and curt. They have pointed little needles that poke and sting and hurt. You can't kiss a scorpion, though beautiful as they may be. If you close your eyes and pucker up, you'll get a sting or two or three. You can't snuggle with a bear, although they look real cushy. They can squeeze you tight and take your space. They can be quite pushy. You can't converse with a crocodile. They will lecture, judge, and scoff. If you get too close to their big mouth, they might just bite your head off. Don't tell secrets to minor birds, although they seem to care. They will listen to your every word and squawk it to the air. You can't trust a mountain lion, big kitties though they are. They'll tear your heart to pieces and leave you quite ajar. When you're sad, a hyena's not the one to share your owie to. They can't stop laughing long enough to know what you've been through. Every critter creator has made is worthy to be seen. Their shapes and sizes are unique. Their colors are quite keen. Each one has a nature and a special way to be. So love some from a distance and stay safe as safe can be. Some people are like critters. They are shiny as a star. But you must keep your distance and love them from afar. So let's love all the critters the Creator has made with care. Just keep in mind how they are made so they don't become a snare. I was inspired to write this book for children to teach them that though all people can be valued and are uniquely made by God, that not all people can be trusted and not all people are safe. I was able to write this book because I'd learned these lessons, hard lessons, over the years myself through my experiences. You know, as an empathetic person, the most difficult thing for me to get a grasp of was that there are people in the world who have little or no empathy, and they don't feel bad for all the destructive behaviors in the lives that they cause problems they cause for other people, and they could care less. That's really difficult to come to terms with. I was once in a relationship with a narcissist, and I would try to communicate with him and share how his actions were affecting me negatively. His answer was a sarcastic, I'm trying really hard to care. My difficulty was the opposite. I needed to work on trying really hard not to care, or at least not to care so much when it came to dealing with this type of personality. Over the years, I've had more than one experience with a narcissist. And I've counseled many people over the years who've had their experiences with narcissists as well. 
If you've had an experience with one, you will completely understand when I say that it's like nothing a person can imagine, and it's nearly impossible to describe the experience to someone else or for them to get the level of insanity it can bring into your life. They just won't get it. If you've not had an experience with one, then count yourself fortunate and highly blessed. It's an unforgettable experience, and I do not know anyone who gets out of a relationship with a narcissist unscathed. As a faith-based person who was taught that love believes the best, it took time and education for me to learn how to deal with a narcissist and to avoid them if possible. I didn't learn the skills I needed in my faith-based community where the narcissist can hide in plain view with others who are trusting and believing the best about everyone, regardless of their behaviors or their history. I was taught that God is the God of second chances, and he is, but he's not the God who condones abuse and people using others maliciously. During my time of struggle with a narcissist in my life, God brought a story to me that I'd read somewhere in a book. I can't even remember where it is, what, where the book was, but I've never forgotten the story. In the story, it's about a turtle and a scorpion. And the turtle is next to a rock on a pond, quite content, resting in the sun. The scorpion comes out from under a rock next to the turtle and asks the turtle a favor. The scorpion says to the turtle, Gee, I really need to get to the other side of the pond, but I can't swim. Would you do me a really big favor and ride me on your back over to the other side of the pond? The turtle is hesitant because he knows that the sting of a scorpion is poisonous. He says to the scorpion, I can't carry you across the pond, but if you, because if you sting me, I'm going to die. The scorpion says, I promise not to sting you. Please take me over to the other side. Can't you see how desperate I am for your help? Please help me out. Trust me, I won't sting you, pinky promise. The turtle feels empathy for the scorpion and decides to help him out. The turtle says, okay, get on my back and I'll carry you over to the other side of the pond. So the scorpion climbs on the back of the turtle and the turtle swims across the pond to the other side and swims up to a rock so that he can let the scorpion off and get off there on dry land. As the scorpion's getting off the turtle, he stings the turtle with his venomous stinger. The turtle cries out in pain as he's dying and he says, You promised me you would not sting me. Why did you lie to me and why did you do it? The scorpion says dryly, and without empathy or mercy. I'm a scorpion. It's my nature to sting. When I heard this story, it was a dose of reality for me and an awakening message from on high. You can't carry a scorpion on your back, much less kiss them. It's their nature to sting, pure and simple. And it's the nature of a narcissist to inject their toxic venom into our lives if we allow them to get too close. My conversations over the years to try to get the narcissist to see what they were doing to me and what they were doing to others fell on deaf ears and they could not see what they were doing. All the light in the world doesn't do a blind man any good. With all the recent scandals being revealed by leaders in places of authority, including the religious institutions of the world, it's important to understand the makings of a narcissist 
how to navigate the waters when you're involved with one, and how to recognize the traits of one before you get sucked into their sticky web. One of the life lessons I was given by the Creator was a really good illustration of how we can get caught into the sticky web of the narcissist. I've learned that God, the Creator of the universe, is always communicating with us if we're listening and watching and if we are aware. Because of my illness, my vulnerability in life rose to a level that I needed God in a way I never did when I was self-sufficient. I was constantly asking God for help because I'd opened the lines of communicate with, com- communication with him from my end. I could see and hear what I never realized before, and that is that I didn't have to be in a religious building to hear from God. He, as a loving father, He's there for me all the time. He's constantly speaking through nature, through circumstances, through the religious institutions, constantly teaching me, guiding me, and keeping me. And so was the experience I had on the day he taught me about the sticky web of narcissism. I was sitting in my living room, and it was the time of one of my many health crises, And I was observing because at the time, that's about all I could do. I was so weak. I was so sick. And so it slowed me down. And I was just sitting there and I was looking around and I looked out on my porch and I happened to notice this big spider and it was building its web right outside the door that led to my outside deck overlooking my backyard. I watched the spider work for, for a very long time. And sometimes I would get up and get up close to the door and look and I marveled at the process. And I thought to myself, I'm just going to stay right here and watch the spider complete this web. I really got caught up in the process. I'd never watched the whole process before. So I thought, well, I want to learn something today. The process took a very long time and I couldn't believe how meticulous the spider worked in spinning this web. I mean, it took, it took a lot of work. And it was an incredible sight to behold. And I thought, wow, this how diligent is this spider that's working so hard on this web? After I watched for a couple hours, I realized that the spider that the spider put his web right over the top of the door to the outside of the house. And I I confess in my arrogance, and I'll say arrogance, that I thought to myself, that's not a very wise spider to place its web right over the door. Because if I opened the door, the spider, it would tear off part of the web. I still had a lot to learn from the spider. As as it drew close to dusk, I noticed that the spider was finishing up this magnificent web. And it was quite a creation to to behold, especially since I'd watched it from the beginning to the end. It was like watching an artist create a great work of art. And as I marveled at it, I still didn't realize what God was teaching me in that moment. I really didn't. However, once it turned dark outside and my outside porch light was turned on, the revelation of the lesson was evident to me. The spider was not ignorant. Uh, The spider was not stupid. The spider had placed the web over the door, not because of any of those reasons. On the contrary, the spider was brilliant in, in the spider's placement of the web. The spider had placed it over the door, but right next to the light, knowing that when darkness descended and the porch light came on, that the bugs would fly toward the light 
and so doing become trapped in the sticky web. And, you know, the creator of God began to talk to me then about that, that so many people are flying toward the light, flying toward his light, moving toward that, and that the, the deceiver and enemies of our soul will place themselves right next to that in hopes that we get caught up in their sticky web. As they were entrapped in the web and unable to fly away, the spider would then paralyze them by biting them and injecting them with its venom and then feed on them. And, and so it is with the narcissist. They'll often place themselves right next to the light and when people move toward the light. If they're not aware of the web, then they'll get tangled up in their sticky web and become a part of the narcissistic supply. And every narcissist has what I would call a harem or a narcissistic supply. Narcissism. It's a new buzzword today, but what is it actually? A narcissistic personality disorder is quite different from someone who's just self-centered and has life manageability problems. For example, an addict will act narcissistically, but it's not, it's not always a narcissist. In fact, as a therapist, when I was working in the treatment centers, we knew that most addicts will score high in narcissistic traits on a personality test until they have about three to five years of recovery under their belt from addiction, and then they begin to recover, and they don't, re they don't respond the same way in narcissistic ways. So just because you have people that act that way doesn't mean they have a narcissistic personality disorder. And we would have a saying, too, saying that recovery takes the ism out of the word alcoholism. The ism meaning standing for I, self, me. Addicts, alcoholics by nature, are very self-focused. They don't think about uh, how their uh, actions affect others. They just don't. And they don't just use drugs and alcohol. They use people. That's not the same as a narcissist. Now, you can have an alcoholic addict that's also a narcissist, but just because someone has an addiction doesn't make them a narcissist. In contrast, for a narcissist with NPD, recovery is not easy, uh, and the prognosis is much bleaker. Like if an addict has, an alcoholic has consequences, and they, we call it hitting their bottom, many times they'll change. That It's not the same for a narcissist. Narcissists, sociopaths, and psychopaths or what I view as predatory conditions. And these individuals are not only broken, but also very dangerous. I wasn't taught in the faith-based system I was a part of how to differentiate between broken people and predatory people, and neither were many of the people I've walked with through the trenches. I've seen several individuals' lives be decimated by their involvement with people with narcissistic personality disorders. A narcissist is not always a person that has to be the center of attention or someone who's boastful and outwardly grandiose. Sometimes they're much more covert in the process. Just like some people are extroverts and some people are introverts, there are different types of narcissists. Some traits that are universal, though, for narcissists is they all lack empathy for others. They're manipulative. They have no problem lying and lie compulsively and they always view themselves as a victim. If confronted, they will gaslight you, project their behaviors onto you, and cause you to walk away feeling like you're the problem and that you're crazy. 
In the beginning of a, your relationship with a narcissist, they will love bomb you and they will groom you. And by that, they, you will be wonderful and you're beautiful and they will, the sky's the limit for them and you'll have attention and they'll make promises. And, and, and that's when they're setting the bait to be able to reel you in. They do this by showering you with affection and attention and they'll promise you the moon. Eventually, that will come to an end, though, leaving you scratching your head in confusion, wondering what you did wrong, and following them around, trying to get the relationship back that, you, that, that they originally sold you on while they withhold. And the withholding is the mainstay for the narcissist. They love to set the bait, and once you take the bait and the hook is secure, they will leave you emotionally high and dry and reeling. They will withhold love, attention, consistency, dependability, finances, affirmation, validation, and physical affection. You name it, and they will withhold it. And what they gave you so freely in the beginning in the grooming stage of relationship will no longer exist. They love to be in control, and most of the time it's not even overt control. It's covert control. Because if you're running around chasing them down, uh, they have control. Let me give you an example, and I'm not saying that this person was a narcissist, but I, you know, I have, as a therapist, I would be in meetings, and there were always people that would, were more verbal processors, and they would talk, and many times those people saw themselves as controlling, because they were the ones talking and directing, and I never understood the power of silence, and I was in a therapy session with a woman, and, and she was very quiet, and I was, I was not the therapist. This was a group uh, therapy that I was a part of myself in my own recovery. And we would all share doing a check-in, and she would always wait to the very last. And the therapist would always end up coaxing her and trying to make sure that she got to speak. And I remember th feeling like in that situation that we, all of us talking, just we must just talk too much. And and she wasn't getting to talk. And it was very interesting because as we continued in the therapeutic process, she began to share some of her walls broke down. And she talked about how she had come from an alcoholic family and they would have parties and things. And she was a bit on the shy side, personality-wise. But she would come out and climb up on the cabinets as a child and then climb up on top of the refrigerator. And she would sit on the top of the refrigerator while everyone was drinking and having par this parties. And she would observe and watch them quietly. And she said it was very interesting because they would all come to the refrigerator and they'd be wanting me to talk or wanting me to interact. And they'd be wanting to try to coax me down. And by the end of the party, I would have all of them peering up at me. And I was in total control. That's an example of withholding. That's an example. I'm not saying that this person was a narcissist, but there is great power that you can, you can have people exert over you or you can others in withholding, withholding the blessing, withholding validation, withholding communication. Withholding is, is a powerful form of control. Narcissists love to be in control. So withholding from you fuels their control like a drug. They'll make you promises and fail to keep them. They'll set you up and let you down, and they'll play come here and go away with you forever. Now, come here and go away is when 
someone motions for you to come, and then when you get close, they bop you. And and that I, I can't show you that, but I can say it would be like motioning with the hand, come here, come here, and then when the person comes, you bop them, go away. And that many times sets up a cycle of control and craziness. A narcissist has no intention of being consistently available and responsible because being inconsistent keeps you out of balance and off kilter and keeps them in a superior place in your life, keeps them the focus. You're running around behind them. You're trying to get them to be responsible. You're, they have control. They have attention. And as you follow them around and beg them to see the error of their ways, cajole them, lecture them, they have your complete attention and it fuels their ego need for power. They will bait you and trigger you. And once you blow your fuse, they will stand back and say, look at you, how crazy you are. Understand this. There's no way to have a true intimate relationship or a covenantal friendship or a business partnership that's healthy with a narcissist. This is because there is no we and their vocabulary. There is no team mentality, only an I. These individuals make their way into positions of authority, and a recent survey has shown that they find their way into the clergy. They are eighth on the list of professions that narcissists are drawn to right behind law enforcement. That's right, I said eighth. They're in the top ten. Why would they be attracted to the clergy or ministerial positions? because they can feed their narcissistic supply with unsuspecting, trusting people who believe the best in others and let their guard down, thinking that everyone in the doors of the faith-based institutions are safe. Wolves are drawn to sheep. They feed on them. 2 Timothy 3.6 describes them as the kind that worm their way into the homes and gain control over gullible women who are burdened with guilt and sin and controlled by various desires. Just look, just like the wolf looks for the injured sheep to overtake it, it's also the same with the predatory person in the faith-based organization. I can't count the times I've heard from people how they were abused by a scout leader, a pastor, a youth worker, a teacher, a doctor, a correctional officer. All of these people were people of authority and a person of authority in the people's lives that came to me for therapy. When asked about how they were baited in the process by the predator, they all shared that they trusted the person because they were in a respected profession and place of authority especially in their lives. Predators know this, and they use it for their advantage. In a ministerial position, the narcissist will know how much money their parishioners make and who can serve them the best financially. They'll know who are the most vulnerable, having marital difficulties or going through grief, who are the most isolated without a support system, and who are single parents needing help, especially single mothers. They will be aware of the vulnerabilities due to the counseling sessions, the prayer request, and the records of financial giving statements. For the narcissist, this is a gold mine. A narcissist will not feel guilty for their actions, and they won't take responsibility if they're exposed. They may feign sadness and even cry, but it will be for themselves and what they're going through or their loss. 
the loss of their reputation or being judged by others or how they're supposedly being victimized in the process. It will not be true to shuva or repentance. It will be temporary and most times they will offend again and again and again. Often in the faith-based system that I was a part of, if a narcissist is uncovered, they will simply lie profusely, accuse the person who's reported them of doing the exact thing that they're doing and that they are being victimized. They're so convincing due to their charisma and ability to manipulate that the true victim will now be seen as the predator and true justice will never be done. If they're held accountable by their religious organization, they will simply leave that organization, badmouth the people who held them to an account, often taking many of the sheep with them on their way out. And they will blame others and even the devil for their heinous behaviors. And many will come to their rescue, especially people who are very empathetic and feeling the need to rescue someone. Being gifted and charismatic, they can persuade others to join them in their fight against the injustice they fabricate in order to keep their supply and retain their ego-based, self-built empires. It is so, so sad the damage one narcissist can do to a faith-based organization and the confusion and havoc they can cause. It has become rampant in our culture even those who profess to be led by God. In order to have a life that's manageable and not become entangled in the narcissistic web, here are some tips that are helpful. If you happen to find yourself in a relationship with a narcissist, back out slowly if possible, and then have the least amount of contact possible with them. You can love the fact that God made a person and still do that from a distance. If you're in a close relationship with one and cannot get out completely, then detach from them as much as possible emotionally and physically. The more interactions you have with them and the expectations you have of them, the more you will be triggered and react. The less involvement with them that you have, the more manageable your life will be. Know that if you're going to co-parent with them, run a business with them, share a home with them, work with them, you will be baited and triggered withheld from, and let down. Accept this fact and set your life up to the best of your ability to not need them any more than you have to, so you will not be constantly triggered and disappointed. Learn everything you can about narcissism so that you can educate yourself on how to take care of yourself in the situation. Knowledge is power and validation is important, especially since they will challenge your reality with gaslighting and in so doing cause you to doubt yourself and make you think you're, you're crazy. Most of all, pray unceasingly to the Lord for discernment and wisdom on how to not just survive but thrive in the situation that's designed by the enemy to steal your joy, your peace, and ultimately your life. God will walk you through every step of the way. He's trustworthy and he's reliable. Do not try to share your story with the average person who has no idea about dealing with a narcissist. They cannot understand and can do great damage to you and cause you to doubt your perceptions and make you think you're the one with the problem. They will also counsel you to keep trying with the narcissist, tell you to give them the benefit of the doubt. They'll try to persuade you to feel sympathy for your abuser. 
It will not be helpful, and it will also be harmful to you in the process. There's a difference in empathy and sympathy. Empathy is you feel, you're, you feel sad that that person is in that state. Sympathy makes you want to rescue them, fix them, and get caught up in the web. You cannot afford to feel sorry for a narcissist. When they are exposed, it is due to their consequences of their actions. And God is at work and is exposing truth and enacting justice. You do not want to get between God and the fire when he's working in a person's life. Or you'll be burned up in the process. We don't want to interfere with that. We can have empathy for their depraved state. And we can pray for their soul. Prayer is never wrong. Narcissists are famous for smear campaigns. So understand that they're, if they're exposed by you, they will try to get even and can be quite vengeful. They have no bounds to which they will go to project the blame onto you. And people will believe them, especially if these people are in a gift focused religious system that thinks that the gifts of God are proof of character. They are not. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable and without repentance, but many do not realize that and think that those who have gifts of healing, prophecy, teaching, signs and wonders are people of character in right standing with God. This is far from the truth. Gifts are just that, gifts. Make sure that you know those you labor among and do not project onto someone what you think they should, should be or what they should feel based on a roller position of authority, especially empathy. Remember that I said the narcissists do not, they don't, do not feel empathy. If we are empathetic, we cannot imagine there's people like that and we will project our empathy onto them and we'll expect them to respond to us with empathy. They will not. Narcissists have little to none, and they will eat you for lunch if you assume that everyone has empathy in this world. That will be your first mistake, and for some, a very costly one. Thankfully, narcissists are only 3 to 4% of society, but they do exist, and we do well to be as wise as serpents as the scriptures speak of and walk in wisdom, trusting our gut, which is often God's way to guide us in the process with discernment. We will need to be resolute in our dealings with predatory people in our lives so that we are not unshakable. There's an old song that goes, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Just like a tree planted by the water, I shall not be moved. When dealing with the narcissists in our life, we will have to stand firm and see the salvation of our God. We will need to not be moved by emotion and be steadfast in our ability to not be manipulated intimidated, or dominated. We will need to withstand the lies, the assaults to our character, the rejection, and the mind games. And we can do this if we plant our feet fully in the kingdom of God as we rely on him for wisdom, discernment. We get our validation from him and our vindication from him. Then we will not be disappointed. As Isaiah 35 says, water will burst forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert, the parched ground will become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. He is able to do above and beyond what we can ask or imagine, and the schemes of the enemy of our souls through the predatory narcissist are no match for the creator of the universe. Thank you for joining me today. 
Uh, if you want to go to our website, it's indigenousmessengers.com. We have a lot of information on there. And I dedicate this to my children and my grandchildren. This is my ethical will I'm leaving for them. I love them and adore them so much. Thank you for joining us today. You've been listening to Dr. Kwamanique Sukina and her podcast, The Bee Attitudes, Simple Wisdom for Spiritual Transformation. Please join us again for these wonderful insights. God bless you.